<laughs> I have a feeling you were going to go here. <laughs> both of, best of both worlds. Yeah. Matt, this isn't the one you think it is. Right. And he's like, this is not whole notes. I was just going to say that. <laughs> and you're exactly right. Mike, can you pull your mic up? Uh, here? No, oh, no, no, Mike. I mean, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, pick up. Sure. I mean, how much closer you want it? <laughs> you want hunch over and talk? Hunch This does sound like all in all. It's a sample. I can't go for that. Yeah. It's a sample. <laughs> he said I can't go, go for that. that. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. <laughs> I'm going to adjust it only because I feel like just watching me. <laughs> I got my eyes on I was wearing a collared shirt. I feel dad vibes for sure. I like it. We were pulling up and Sean goes, I see Joe got the mohawk back, huh? <laughs> Say, you know. <laughs> it never left. <laughs> it just you grew. It just grew. Me, huh? We always wear a hat, though. Nah, not always. Usually when it gets long. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's get this thing started. Welcome back to the Mickey D's podcast episode. Can you guys help me out on this one? 73. 73. Okay, 73. 73. Mm, talk to him, Joe. 73. Very smooth. Man gets engaged yeah. to a Latina woman. Yeah. And now... He better, he better <laughs> have ready. it. This better, this better look, be up to par. music's doing to me. Don't let him roll an R. God oh. forbid. I actually uh, say Ro. Ro. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you're going to notice a slightly different setup. Yeah. Um, you know, slightly. Uh, I mean, let's just get it out of the way. Uh, we're not biting LeBron. And, Inspo. And, and, but inspiration is there. After and, that uh, Obama episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Who, who's the first person to Zoom from a barbershop? Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we're doing what we got to do, and um, we have a special guest in the building that we'll get yes. into in just a second. Yeah. Um, but it feels good to be back. Yeah. It does. And these are really yeah. comfy chairs, actually. They are. Are we going to do it up here from now on? And maybe shameless plug, uh, we, we do have a barbershop opening up at the Mag Park, so mm -hmm. if I'm going to use this time to advertise. Sure. Yeah. Which we should. Sure. For yeah. example... Uh, Mickey D's one five. Use that promo code when mm. you on your cart at Jetpack Bags. Do I get fifteen percent at this uh, barbershop as well? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with that with that promo I'll, code. I'll, I'll, I'll sign that, that promo. I'll hit, that, it up. hit that promo code. Yeah, I'll, yeah I'll hey man, uh, Mickey D's one five. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Come in here. Mention the mention, mention the Mickey D's podcast. I'm, I'll I'll get the fifteen percent off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and go. yeah. So again, Jetpack Bags fifteen percent off um, your entire purchase when you use the promo code M I K I D Z one five. And we also have updated our playlist, our Mickey D's playlist Beat on Beat Source. So for all you DJs out there, go check it out. See what's uh, popping in our streams, yeah, I guess. Go check it because we're going to update it again soon. So Yep. Yes. Like that uh, 2 chains you just heard mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. off the new album. Yes, which sir. Mm -hmm. We'll discuss another time, but there's plenty of records. Have you heard uh, the new 2 chains uh, album? I have heard the Hollow Notes. <laughs> 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 What was going on um, when Hall and Oates was out for you? Uh, not a lot of me in Hall and Oates, I could tell you that. <laughs> no, no. I was busy following people like the Ramones. Okay. Going, okay. Got it. What's with that guy's mustache? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> now it's in style, you know? Yep. <laughs> and so for uh, you guys listening at home, um, our audio, 
We have a very special guest. For applause, please, for yeah. Matt Kennedy. Nice. Yes, Thank sir. Thank you very much. Man, it's a very proper white name. Irish white name. Right. Irish. I'll Wait, take it. it. <laughs> Is this our first non-DJ guest? I think so. Right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Matt's listened to a couple episodes. Yeah, um, he's what's your too- opinion? I like it. Mm-hmm. I do. I would say this. Wow, that's not what I would normally listen to. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> and gotcha. it's the thing that hits you, and you're like, I thought I was so cool, <laughs> and then hey. you realize you're so clueless. Hey, you know? hey listen, yeah, we'll take it. And yeah. then you get your youngest going. I'm not swearing anymore, but he's like, what the F are you listening to? You shouldn't be listening to that. <laughs> like, son, let me put you on to something. <laughs> let me educate there you, go. you real quick. There you go. And so to put, kind of put everything together, um, Matt is, for the lack of a better term, my mental and life coach, I would say. I would say probably organizer. Okay, fair. Because you're smart enough to do what you need to do. Right. You just need like everybody to get organized. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Write that down. Life yeah. organized. <laughs> clip. <laughs> Story clip. Yeah, no. So um Joe uh, kinda actually was uh, had the idea and obviously uh Matt and I meet on a weekly basis. It's been I'm gonna say seven months. Sure, that sounds like a good number. Yeah, that's fine. Sure, okay. Seven months. <laughs> we met actually through a big shout out to um our trainer Marcos. Uh, uh, Matador training. Yeah. Uh, M I K I D Z one five four discounts on training. By Marcos. <laughs> training. Yeah, you yeah. Got, he's got Marcos, Marcos he's is going to pull up and be like, hey. Hold on, hold on. No, I'll get you a sign off. You got to get 10 sessions all at once. He'll give you a there discount. You go. That's how you get the discount. But he, uh, He's making me nervous with that quick discount code, you know. When <laughs> <laughs> he's next. Yeah, hey, we'll, we'll see how this goes, Matt. Real trigger happy with that discount. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we all met through um, Marcos uh, Matador training, and um, I think we just there was a couple conversations that happened out loud, and finally, uh, you know, I think this is a new space for you in uh, your world, or it, I guess it is, and it isn't. Right, I've been doing it forever in some capacity. I guess you would say in volunteer work. Okay. Um, since my early twenties and I was a lawyer. I guess I am a lawyer. I don't really care if I'm a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I'm doing that for a long time. I was a therapist before I went to law school. Okay. I liked that, but I worked in the prisons and the prisons I worked in, like most prisons were a little rough. Right. So you end up going home after a number of years and you can't sleep. Right. Because you start thinking, Jesus, what am I going to tell that guy? Right. You know, how am I going to help that guy? Right. As a therapist, did you need one? As a therapist, therapist, I think I was lucky enough to need a therapist before I became a therapist. Uh, I think everybody does. I think the problem is the word you use. and, And my take on therapy is, if you're going to have a weekly session to say, how do you feel today? Oh God, you know, I feel sad. I, I did this and I did that. And then you talk about that nonsense for an hour and then you drop 250 bucks in the desk and you leave. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you get done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Therapy, like anything, 
it has to be didactic. It, it has to be task-oriented because I don't know how you build a foundation in, in anything, in, in what you guys do, yeah, in any kind of DJ work. Right. I'm assuming there's a number of preliminary steps you always have to take. Right. And if you don't take it, you're just back at the same spot again and again and again. And so that's really important. Um, and we want to get into that um, for ourselves as well. Um, but we definitely wanted to kind of introduce you to our audience. You know, right. uh, you are so uh, anti-social, not like the brand, but like literally anti-social media. It's true. One hundred percent. Right. You were inspiration for the brand. Right. There you go. There you go. There you go. We found the, the inspo, and so we've had a conversation about this because uh, we've wanted to work together. Right. To to just kind of get this awareness out that this is available at in the right way. Like that, you see all the guys online with the quotes and the the. You've described a couple guys to me in your words. It's um, I guess to to back up. And in fairness to you, because you're, you're putting it out there and I get squirrely about it. Right. I don't know if it's because I'm on the other side of the generation gap or what it is. I can't handle social media. Right. I just, maybe it's a deficiency in my character, but I can't take it. I don't understand the constant, oh my God, I got to see what's happening here. I got to do that. Or everybody that has a barbed wire tattoo and a six pack is on Instagram telling you they're a life coach. And I don't... Oh, well, let, let me ask, just to get more specific. Sure. That's pretty specific. That is. That is. But in regards to the quotes, right, 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 right. how do you feel when you see Joe Schmo, influencer, post a quote? Unmoved. Right. 100% unmoved. When I see quotes, I feel like it's um, just... A, a few things. I feel like it's just something to post for the day just to keep the engagement flowing. Mm-hmm. And another thing that jumps out at me is you're posting because this might be more about you than you inspiring other people. So it's a great point that you're bringing up. So if, <clears throat> if you and I were working together without that discount code. <laughs> <laughs> but my approach would be, it's about your glory. Right. It's not about mine. Right. You know, my kids are healthy. My family's healthy. I'm healthy. I've already done things in my life that were really great and really a blast. Yeah. You're teeing it up right now. You don't need me to say, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Right. Who cares? <laughs> or put some inspirational post out and show a picture of the ocean. Because you know what? That doesn't put dinner on your table. Mm. Yeah. And it, it doesn't put that right feeling in your heart. It's just a meaningless post. Yeah. But if someone like Mother Teresa is cleaning the sores of a leper in the poverty-stricken area of Calcutta, and some guy looks at her and says, I wouldn't do that for a million bucks. And she says, neither would I, but I would do it for Jesus. Mm-hmm. That means something yeah. because that's someone who's doing it. So that's the sort of stuff I'm interested in. And I think that you and I are a great example. We met organically. He's able to do the work that he's doing Mm -hmm. because we met organically. Not because he saw an Instagram post, you know, Mm. of me running down the street and doing something ridiculous Mm -hmm. and then giving you a great quote because it doesn't mean anything. But what he's doing means a ton. And the reason it's working for him is because we came together 
completely the way I believe you're supposed to come together. And so um, I guess for the sake of, you know, again, trying to get to know you a little more and then we can get to present day. Um, we'll start with the cliche. Where did it all start? What, young life for Matt, born, raised, family life. What was that like? Great. And where? So I was raised in Rochester, New York. I come from typical Irish family, drinking, fighting. As a kid? Yep. <laughs> okay. You gotta, listen, <laughs> if you're going to be good at anything, you got to get started early. Um, There's a quote for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it means something. I did it. But it was typical, hardworking, dad had some issues. My mom was just a beast. It was mm. nose to the grindstone. You get to work. They lead by example. My old brothers, all my brothers were a little bit nutty. My sisters are really great. How many older, younger? Uh, I'm number six out of seven. Woo. So my younger sister, and it's great. Like it's, I didn't know we were poor. Right. I had mm. no idea until we all grew up and we're like, oh, wow, I guess it kind of worked. But we had a blast. Mm. So it was in a great neighborhood where, and I'm obviously I'm from the Northeast and it was the sort of neighborhood you come home from school and the streets are already full. Right. There's people, you can probably relate yeah. to that. There's people Absolutely. everywhere. You come down the street here, nobody's out in the street. Right. Uh, so it was weird for me. It was like culture shock, but I grew up in the Northeast. Uh, I hated it, I thought, until I left. And then I realized I loved it. Um, played sports like, like most kids, you know, got off the track, have my share of pizza parties, got back on track, uh, went to school, worked full time when I went to school. This is high school? Went to high school, worked in high school, um, was I think typically lonely like most people are in high school, but okay. didn't have the balls to say it, right. you know, and then once that testosterone kicks in, right. I couldn't figure out. Well, you know, I wasn't getting after it every five minutes. You right. know, what's wrong with these women? Uh, <laughs> hey, and then, I feel you. <laughs> and that is a pattern that's gone on to my 55th year. Um, <laughs> what's wrong with these women? <laughs> so I finished high school, dinked around a lot, didn't do anything, didn't really have any focus. Well, let's not skip over your athletic ability. Uh, limited. <laughs> uh, I was basketball player, football player was pretty good, but was a mess as an individual. Mm. Being humble again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it never, it never took off for reasons that I really got off track. I got you. And I, and I would say this, those are things, how I got off track, I save for the people I work with. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. If I'm going to work with you, there needs to be an intimate connection. So I'm going to give something to you from me that's very private because it means something, right? And then you know, ah, I can, this guy's not a dick. I can trust this guy. If you give it out to the world, it's the same as that garbage in a meme. That doesn't mean anything. And it, it makes me a cliche. So how helpful can I be as a cliche? 
And that's that's some of my anti-social media stuff. Mm. I don't, because I always feel like if you're complaining about Trump, if you're complaining about Biden, you have too much time on your hands. Because I will guarantee you there's someone two blocks away that doesn't have dinner. Mm. And you're worried about Trump's hair or you're worried about Biden losing his mind. But that little kid two blocks away doesn't get dinner. And that's sort of where back up yep. 25 years, 35 years. I think that's the kind of thing that used to hit me is I would see homeless people. And f- as long as I can remember, right. it's like a punch in the stomach. I just, I can't take it. I think we're the most abundant country in the world. And mental illness aside, no one should ever have to struggle to eat ever. Right. So that's sort of what, I think I had parallel tracks. I had the self-centered nature of a 20 year old, which I went full bore with um, and, and didn't forget to go knee deep in that because you don't learn. Um, but I also had this other side of me that was, gosh, I don't know if the word's intuitive, but it certainly was empathetic in, in a way that it hurt right. for me. And that's the sort of thing you hide as a young man. If you think you're tough and you want to drink and be cool, you don't, you don't get upset like that. And that was, that was the biggest part of my struggle. And, and I was sharing with you earlier. Yep. Um, one of the best things ever said to me in my entire life, there was this woman who I thought I was crazy about, but I, I wasn't. Older? Was she older? Yeah. Man, that's a good question. I think she was. <laughs> I, she was. Mm. And she smoked. It was gross. Yeah. Uh, but I was crazy about her. And like, out of nowhere, she says it's over. Like, what? what are you talking about? So she dumps me. And I'm like, everyone at that age, I give it a couple days. And I call her back. And I'm like, oh, come on. Well, you know, I, you know, I give her the hard sell. And God love her, she falls for it. And she shouldn't have. And after like three days, apparently the hard sell wasn't that good. She says... I can't do this. I was like, what? And she says, one of the greatest things I ever heard. Not only do I not love you, I don't even like you. Mm. And that left me with no options. Mm. Where do you go with a statement like that? Your heart sells away. over. <laughs> away. <Yeah. laughs> but away. the problem is what that does for you, I would hope, maybe I just got lucky, it reorients your whole frame of mind. It's so incredibly humbling Mm -hmm. to have someone, I mean, lots of people don't love me. That's okay. But to be told someone doesn't like you, that's some kindergarten, first grade stuff where you don't get to go to that birthday party. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my God, it hurts like that. And that's what got me sort of turned around. Like, wow, if I'm unlikable, I got to get it together. How old were you there? I was 23 going on like nine. And, uh, <laughs> but how, just, did, how did you feel about yourself before she said that? Did you like, like yourself or were you still trying I, to figure things out? I think I was like every 20 year old. 
just I thought I was cool. Yeah, and I I could not have been more clueless. Mm. I couldn't have been more clueless. But when this was hitting me, I shouldn't say hitting me, when she sort of hit me over the head and I had to step back and I didn't know I was stepping back. I just was sad, you know, and I was feeling sorry for myself. I came across a quote, funny enough. (laughs) uh, This better move me. That's all circles back. (laughs) Where someone had told me, there's only one truth in life. And I said, what's that? And he said, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. And I was like, I don't know what the hell that means, but it hit me hard. And it made me think, yeah, I'm not so bad, but you gotta fake it till you make it. So even if you suck at something, you just got to keep doing it. You just got to keep doing it. So here I think I got a great personality, but I'm unlikable. What's my shortcoming? Well, my shortcoming was I was negative about everything and I thought it was funny and it wasn't funny. It probably just grated on her like nobody's business, you know? I think I was probably pretty bossy and I was bossy because I probably had garbage for self-esteem. And then it, it dawned on me like everything. We talk about it all the time. It's work. Everything you do is work. It's all work. It doesn't matter if you're fixing your head, you're fixing your body, you're fixing your relationship, you're dealing with your children. It's work. That's why quotes for me don't work because they're not work. So in any event, to back up to my incredibly humbling moment that you guys are making me relive all over again. (laughs) Um, Oh, you didn't tell him what he signed up for, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is a good time to break. (laughs) 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 Take five, take five. That was, that was it for me. Like that was the moment that had me step back and think, how, how do you get to the place where you know who you are. And I'm a believer, right, wrong, or indifferent, there's only one way to get to that place, is service. So that started with a ton of volunteer work for me, Hmm. whether it was in homeless shelters, whether it was helping people read, whether it was in sober houses, whether it was, it didn't matter where it was, whether it was, I mean, one of the things we did Oh God, I bet it was 13, 14 years ago when, when my kids were younger, we worked out on Sunday mornings. I had them working on football drills and stuff like that. I did it with, a, with another guy, I know a civil rights activist. And next thing you know, we were, we're having these kids come from all over the place. I didn't know where the hell these kids were coming from, but we're in this public park. No one's at a public market park at Sunday morning at 7.30. We're in a kind of a raunchy neighborhood. Young kids would walk by, hey, can we play mister? can we play mister we ended up i bet we had 50 kids every sunday morning kids i didn't know right and we ran workouts and we ended up getting two other people these other guys were uh all-american football players well-educated guys um and we i it, it just happened organically but it could be anything it it could be any charity there's, there's no such thing as a bad charity when it comes from a good place, right? Mm-hmm. So I would work with, with young kids trying to get sober. 
Um, I did volunteer therapeutic work. I did times where I was driving people just because people needed rides to places. Uh, there was times where you're feeding people. You don't want people to know you're feeding them, you know, because they might have some pride. There's, there's all kinds of activity out in this city that will let you know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give you a great story. I won't say her name, but I'm sure you can figure it out. She's a um, influencer. And we were, like my kids have never had a Thanksgiving at home. We've, uh, we've worked at either St. Bridget's or some other shelters. You know, I, I mm-hmm. feel like you guys are lucky enough to have a holiday 360 days out of the year. You can spend those five holidays somewhere else, helping somebody else. And we all had to freeze at this particular location. And we all had to go to the back of the room as this particular influencer came in. This was great. Some guy comes up and she scoops out the Thanksgiving food and puts it on his plate. And it's like, (laughs) she's done and gone. Mm. Isn't that great? (laughs) But depending on who you are, don't know how you look at it. (laughs) But you know, the beauty of it is she didn't have to do that. Right. And I was the prick because I was the one judging her. Mm. Like, what? You gotta be kidding me. I'm here all night long. I got to listen to my kids, bitch. And (laughs) she comes in and bingo, bango on this homeless guy who couldn't be not nice to us is like, whoa. And he gets his food from her. But you know what? What a great moment. Right. Because here's what it did. It was on the news. And if one person saw that on the news and thought, I'm going to go down there. Because they probably need help. So those are all the times when things like that happen. It's always good because that mirror always comes like this. It always turns right around if you're paying attention. So that was after high school. So no college. No, no. So I went to college. <laughs> Man, took, this took, is just high school. <laughs> uh, took forever in college. I uh, worked full time, went to college full time. What college you go to? I went to University of Albany. Okay. I went to RIT first. I went to a community college and I went to RIT. And I just didn't fit with those science guys. I don't really know why I went there. Then I went to University of Albany. And then I did some stuff at the Rockefeller School, which is there. It's a school for public administration. Mm-hmm. And I did graduate studies at University of Albany. Um, and Albany was a great experience because... You, I live, I didn't have any money, like most people going to college, but I had to work and pay for college. And I lived in the, the most disgusting, foul, horrible place in the world. And the guy right next to me was this guy named Ice. He was a drug dealer. Ice. Ice, right? Ice. It, it's so In 80s. case of emergency. Yeah, it's so <laughs> 80s to have that name. But- he was that guy. He looked a little like the guy from Miami Vice who thought he was slick. Uh, <laughs> not Don Johnson, the other guy, except he was way dirtier. Uh, was it Rico? That it was something like that. Philip Michael Thomas was his real name. That's yeah. the only thing I know. Mm. But Ice would, I was the only white guy in the neighborhood. I would come home from work in this dump, but he would always make sure, don't mess with that white boy. 
don't mess with that guy. <laughs> and I would sit on the porch and he would do his thing and it was horrible to watch, but it's all I could afford, you know? But right. this guy would just, he would watch out for me. And I couldn't get roommates because they'd all be terrified. <laughs> but when you have, your rent is 125 bucks and that's what you can afford, that's where you live. Yeah. You know, and it was funny. It got to the point where you'd be like, was that a rat or a mouse? Because I can deal with a mouse. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't want uh, But, oh, and, and I'll never forget, it was one night I was studying for a final, my philosophy class I was taking, I heard a giant breaking a window crashing everywhere. I look out, well, this isn't even funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. And I look out the window and he is getting messed up. And ISIS? Then, yeah. And oh, then the shit. cops are coming, but it's like four people. They throw him through the window. He never came back out the window. It was a row house. You guys know what row houses are, right? Yeah. Uh, he went out the back and I never saw him again. And here's how selfish you get. I'm like, man, there's no way I'm going to live in this neighborhood for the next six months if he's not here. <laughs> uh, that is if he's okay. Yeah, I no, no. Here, right? like, dare you. That was security. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Um, so then I, I finished school, I finished college and all that stuff and went to graduate school and did some work in philosophy and some religious studies. And then I ended up working at, and this was probably the second most profound moment in my life. This is one that always makes me very emotional and it can show you where legacy goes, how there's no accidents. I ended up working at a place called LaSalle School for Boys. It was essentially a, a DFY, you know, it was like a prison for kids. Mm -hmm. And my older brother went there. Uh, he got shipped off from Rochester and he lived there at this LaSalle school. And I ended up working there eons later. You, you never could plan that, right? And these kids were 13-year-old kids. Like a lot of them were from Bed-Stuy or Brownsville. Man. So you know the gang, you know? At 13-year-old, you're I, already a gang. Can banger. I ask you around what time this was? This was 19... Late 80s. Oh, man. Late 80s, early 90s. So it, it, that epidemic was around. Full swing. <sighs> it was full swing. So it would be heartbreaking. You, you'd get there and you'd see these men, these Irish Christian brothers who are working from six o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night. And they're not getting paid jack. And they're doing everything they can to help these kids who are coming from the worst spots in New York City. And you're familiar with Bed-Stuy's like in, yeah. in Brownsville. I, was, I lived in uh, Flatbush. So you get yeah, it. Yeah. You, and you know the type of kids that were running those I was one of those kids. So, <laughs> so you're the prick. <laughs> um, and you would get, I worked as um, a counselor for a while there. And then I ended up teaching there. And it's, it is profoundly humbling to run into a 13-year-old boy who's just a boy, but he's all out a man based on what he's seen. Mm. And you get, I don't know, see, it still makes me emotional because I don't know how you're on this planet and you don't, you see a kid suffer like that and it just doesn't lay you out. But we used to take them swimming at the Y, the YMCA. Mm. The guy who worked at the YMCA said, yes, our worst two hours of the week when them guys come here. <laughs> Because they would trash the place. Yeah. It would be jailbreak. Mm -hmm. And the YMCA was right across the street. And there was a young kid. He was 
12 years old. He was tough. He was a tough kid. But you watch him in the pool and he's laughing. He's having, and he's like every other 12 year old on the planet. And it's just, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I'm like, Jesus Christ. No matter what his experience is, he just wants to be loved. And that's what he's feeling in that moment when he's in that pool. And then his DSS ran out and they shipped him back home. And they found him under an overpass with no hands and no feet Mm. at 13 years of age. Mm -hmm. So that was another moment for me where I'm like, I can handle not being liked. I can't handle that. Yeah. So what can I do? Right. And you think, I can't do anything, but you can Mm -hmm. because you never know one act of kindness might actually keep that kid from doing something else where he doesn't run into that trouble. And then I worked there for a while. Um, I taught there. And then I went from there to a place called Hospitality House, which was a treatment center. And this is so perfect that we're doing this at Thanksgiving because it's one of my absolute favorite memories in my entire life was I worked at this treatment center, which, which led me to the prisons, what I would do is I would do intake and assessment and bring nonviolent offenders into the treatment center and say, hey, let's see if we can give you two years, you can live clean and sober and we can, I mean, it's silly to say rehabilitation because it's habilitation. You know, a lot of these people's never had anything. A lot of these people's, a lot of these men and women never had anything. And so a low man on the totem pole, I had to work the holidays all the time which I didn't care about. I wasn't going anywhere. I was on my own. So I worked one Thanksgiving in the, in the house, we call it the house, with 70 people. I was there by myself with some senior members. And as the snow is coming down and it was in a horrible part, part of town, two blocks from a park and everyone's lamenting. And here's what's so crazy. They're all pissed off. They can't be at home. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You just came from prison. You weren't even at home. Uh, and I couldn't take it. So I talked to a bunch of the senior guys who were senior members in the, the sober community. I said, let's bring these guys to Washington Park, which was a park close to the rehab. So here we were. I was breaking every single protocol at this treatment center doing something I never should have done. And I'm so glad I did. 70 people at the park. There's probably a foot and a half snow on the ground. Mm. And we had the greatest 35 on 35 kickball game wow. in the history <laughs> oh of the world. Like wow. Yeah. wow. And it was crazy because you have the toughest guy in the world. There was this one guy, he came out of Attica I'm pretty sure he was a violent offender, but he had a nonviolent status. So he got into this place. Same thing. It's the same experience. Every single one of these people are acting like 10 year olds. Yeah. You know, and then you know that sound. Everyone knows that red ball, right? Mm. Ping. Ping. (laughs) Right? There it goes. And then get it, get it. And then after it started getting to the point where it was like, yeah, you can hit them with the ball to get them out. 
but you don't have to kill him with the ball yeah, right. to get him out. Then it turns into dodgeball. And then it's like, you know what? Shot on the pad. We're going back to the house. But it was tremendous. So that was probably those two moments together had me realize, all right, regardless of what I do, if I stay as a therapist here, if I move on to law school, I'm going to be involved in some community like this, no matter what. And then I think, I thought, and I still think, if you're aware of who you are, you will find your strengths. Mm. If you are aware of what everyone else thinks you are, you will never find your strengths. And I think I was very lucky to find where my strengths were mm. at, at such a young age. And then I still had some other things I wanted to do. Um, and I ended up going to law school, which was silly. Um, but then I had to pay for it, which was expensive. <laughs> um, and then I had a pretty good law career. I think I was pretty good. Probably only the people who lost would say I was pretty good. And then the people who, well, I never lost. So it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but other people would say, never lost. I was a dick. Um, my heart was never there. And I remember years ago going to work and saying, oh man, is this what my life has come to? I'm getting up, I'm going to work, and then I'm coming home for what? So I started to transition out of it. But I had always been working in the field, either in sober houses or mentoring young kids or teaching reading or something. And then, oh, you know how I feel about this term. I ended up working with people as a life coach, I guess you would say. Right. And it's such a silly term because you know how to live. Yeah. You don't need someone to coach you how to live. <clears throat> And this person said to me two years ago, I don't know why you're wasting your time doing what you're doing. This is what you should be doing. And I thought, okay, well, let me give a run at it. And then I had some clients and they were willing to pay me. Really they, well, no discounts? No, none. <laughs> and it, it wasn't working for me. The people that I was working with, and I—why right. wasn't it working? Because it, there's a part of me that doesn't feel right if I'm taking your money and you're not doing the work. Sure. Mm. Um, I think there's probably a, a special bad place somewhere in the universe for the person that does that, and there's all kinds of ways to rationalize it. But I don't know how I can be the kind of father that I would like to be if I would do that sort of thing because I'm one of my kids learning. They're going to learn enough bad habits from me. I'd prefer they don't learn that one. Yeah. Um, and there's another, I was a philosophy student, which is a silly pretentious way of saying I took philosophy in college. Um, <laughs> but there's a, a great quote by a, a German philosopher that I really, really believe if, if I'm something, I think I'm this, is a human being should never be treated as a means to an end. A human being should 
always be an end themselves. And that's how I feel about you can't take money from someone to use them. We're going to have to, we're going to do a replay here. Okay. Instant replay. Say that one one more time because I know everybody's going to be hitting the 15 seconds back a couple of times. Say that one more time. It's a human being should never be used as a means to an end, but a human being should be an end unto themselves. Meaning I should never use you for something I want. Right. I should never use you for something I want. You I'm not so sure about. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to know each other. <laughs> nah, use so, him. Okay. <laughs> okay. Air horn. Use, use him. <laughs> Look at Sean all giggly over there. <laughs> Anybody that shits on Joe is a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's automatic. Erica, be, stay my friend, Erica. Stay my friend. No, you lost her first. <laughs> so I think that's what... I, I started to clear that out and I can't tell you how many people I've met over the past couple of years who find themselves in a position to call themselves life coaches. And it just irks me mm-hmm. because I don't know what they're doing for their client. Like I, I can push you and say, you know, you might get hit by a bus tomorrow. You know what? You might not get hit by a bus tomorrow. So what are you doing right now? All that stuff is silly motivation because unless it's real, it doesn't mean anything. And there's a lot of that, I'm going to push you. You're going to change your words. You're going to change your vocabulary. You know what? I'm going to wake up every day and say, I'm amazing. Words do mean something. But the only way words mean something is the work that's behind it. Mm. So like for you, we say all the time, words mean something, right? Yeah. But he works his ass off. You know, you get a plan and then you follow through the plan. And the next thing you know, after time, I feel pretty good about myself. Oh my God, I've cleaned out all this crap. I didn't even realize I cleaned out all this crap. I didn't even know all this crap was here. And now I'm just chugging forward. I'm chugging forward. And then all of a sudden, I'm a different person. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with someone gave you a platform to see the organization that needs to happen because there's someone, it's so funny. I had this conversation with someone yesterday who's a life coach who I know and they think they can handle mental health issues and they can handle, you know, behavioral issues and this. No, he can't. A person with severe mental health issues if you're honest about what you're doing, you need to do everything you can to get them somewhere where those mental health issues can be treated. I've had enough experience in those communities where I have a pretty good handle on spotting them, but I would never try to mess around with that stuff. So there's that hubris, that megalomania that comes with it. And of course, everyone's going to disagree and say, well, you're the arrogant prick. Okay, that's fine, but I know what I'm doing. I know the people I'm working with, right? And so now I just got to get that barbed wire tattoo. <laughs> get that six pack. That's right. Well, thanks. <laughs> Who do you hate more, uh, life coaches or Trump supporters? You know, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be. And, and I don't t- know you, but I felt like that would have been a really good question I'll, for and me. And I'll tell you why. It's a word I never use. And... I don't have any problem with Trump supporters or Biden supporters. Mm-hmm. I have problems with people who want to listen to the news. Mm-hmm. 
and don't want to look it up for themselves. Mm. Right. And and the bigger problem I have is if I'm a Trump guy and you're not, and and you pin me down on a Trump issue and I say, I don't know what he says. He says stupid stuff all the time. Um, and you hate me because I like Trump. Yeah. Or for some reason I'm devalued. And I think in large part, at least the philosophy of it is, that's what was supposed to make this country so great is you and I could disagree and still be great friends. Yeah. Well, I, I think what the common, what I'm seeing like on Twitter is you support Trump, even though you say you're not racist, but you support him and he's a racist, thus making you a racist. racist. Or right? you support a racist. Or you yeah. support a racist. So where, where would you, how would you break that down for someone that supports Trump and still pinned, you know? If they supported Trump? Yeah. I'll give you another great story. <laughs> um, my, my dad had a cousin. Most people have cousins. He was, um, and he was also an Irish Christian brother and he was a missionary in Kenya. And he lived there for 30 years. And when he came back to America, he lived in the Bronx and he lived in Fort Apache. So as you can imagine, a, a 60-year-old white guy with the collar on in Fort <laughs> Apache. Uh, but he was pretty Catholic. He was about as Catholic as you could get. Mm-hmm. And this is probably the, maybe the third greatest saying I ever heard. He, um, I was, he came up to Albany to visit and he was one of those people. We all meet these people, not many in life. He just was joyful. He was joyful about anything. Oh my God, I stepped in dog crap. But it was like the most perfect dog <laughs> crap you've ever seen. You know, he was that guy. Right. Like I took him to see Stomp. Do you guys know what Stomp yeah. is? My sister took me to see that. Oh, shame on me. I was so embarrassed. So I take him to see Stomp and he's so excited. He stands up and he's clapping and he's doing this. And people are like, sit down. And I was like, oh my God. But he was so genuinely excited about it. So anyway, to, to back up, he, he's in Fort Apache. And I said, well, well, Brother Michael, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I've, I've got a counseling office next to an abortion clinic. And I, I thought being the Catholic, he would be there to tell young women, no, don't do it, I'll, I'll save your baby. And I said, oh, you must be getting a lot of trouble from the liberal folks down there doing that. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know how contentious it can get or something like that, you know, young women going in to get an abortion and you're there with your gang. And he goes, oh, no, I'm not doing that. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, well, you know, when I came back here, I thought, boy, if anybody needs to be loved or anybody needs counseling, it's got to be a young woman who makes that decision. Mm. Can you imagine how messed up she is? And you could have knocked me over again oh. with the feather. And I said, I can't remember what I asked him. He goes, well, it's easy. You just have to ask yourself, where would Jesus be? Mm-hmm. He goes, I know that's a place he would be. And then this sounds like a movie too. He was... He had got stomach cancer. Well, that doesn't sound like a movie. This part does. He got stomach cancer and I went to visit him. And he was this, you know, this robust guy. He was happy about life. I'm not lying. He probably weighed 
80 pounds in the hospital bed. Yeah. But his eyes were as bright as could be. He was more alive than most people. Mm. And I, you know, it was very upsetting. You try not to be emotional. And, and I don't know why you wouldn't try to be emotional because you think, oh, if I get upset, they're going to think they're dying. I'm pretty sure he knew he was dying. Uh, and he says, as I'm leaving, he reaches out and he grabs my hand. He goes, Matthew, Matthew. So what, brother? He goes, there's only kindness. That's all. So what do you do? So when I, when I think about your question, like yeah. a Trump person, I think there's only kindness. Yeah. Like, good for you. That's what you feel. Yeah. You're not taking dinner off my table. And as long as you're not hurting anyone, you could have that. Because my job on the planet, I don't think is to change anyone. I think all of our jobs are to help someone, you know, and some of us do it without a discount. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Matt does not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the long-winded answer. For I think that's how I would respond yeah. to yeah. the Trump guy. Because I know a lot of people, they just, it's that rabid hatred. And I get, my other response was, which I got grief for this summer, Someone was going on and on and on and on and on about Trump. And I said, well, listen, tell me, where do you volunteer? I would love to come meet you there. Maybe I can help you out. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, you're complaining so much about this, this, and this. Well, I guarantee you don't have to go far to find a family that needs somebody to eat in your neighborhood. I'll come help you. Screw you. You're a racist. You're a dick. You're a this. <laughs> you're a that. Of course. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying, <laughs> it just wasn't the right answer, you know? Yeah. So, and I think the nice thing about that is it's the same answer if you hate Biden, you know? It's the same answer if you hate me or if, or if you hate him. It's, it's always the same answer. It's just, I don't know if I'm always that good about practicing it. I'd like to think I am, but there's probably a lot of people who would tell you he's full of crap, yeah. you know? <laughs> Kill him with kindness, right? Yeah perspective man so like the because word. because we we do have dj listeners somewhat of a music podcast right so, yeah. um here's a little curveball okay um let's say uh young matt preteen, teen college and now what would be the soundtrack for each era wow mm. did mention the ramones i mean he got the socks on i'm trying to think <laughs> When they would come in, because <laughs> they would probably come in about 78 was when I heard Rocket to Russia. So my first song was God Save the Queen, about 75. And I thought, man, I didn't know I was angry. I just thought it was a great song. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know I was angry. <laughs> um, and then it was, it, was, it was punk rock always, always. Always. It was the thing that just worked. Okay. Um, and then into the 80s, you know, there was always that band that would sneak in, like Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess if there was a record that would surprise people that was in my stack of albums was, was Beethoven's Ninth. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that guy was deaf. Uh, okay. <laughs> he was totally deaf. <laughs> he was straight deaf. He was, you know, he was. it was amazing. Yeah. He was. Um, 
I'm trying to think if I changed. And then like I never, I couldn't handle jazz. It made me very anxious. <laughs> it would make me want to hurt somebody. Really? Uh, I can't take it. He does fight. I just. It, I know, yeah, I know. I seem. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is with jazz. It's just so. People get it, you know. They're the. I can't do it. I'm like, this is so irritating. You said you were angry. Yeah. See, still apparently. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that is that still current for you? Like some jazz is something that you can't listen to. One hundred percent. Okay. So you can't um, sit in a Starbucks. No. <laughs> uh, and not drive, just because of the people. Only. Not just because <laughs> of the people. Um, so no Delilah on Sunday. But I I like that big band jazz. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. all right, all and right, I yeah. think it's because I I waited tables for years. And you can't, you just can't wait tables at a wedding and not hear bam, 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 You did that in New York, so I already yes, know. Yes, exactly, exactly right. Exactly. So it gets in your head, you know, and then it's in the background. And then I think when I started to calm down or thought I was calming down, uh, I sort of moved to classical music. Okay. And then over, I think probably... Late 20s, early 30s, I I started mixing in some Gregorian chant, stuff like that. But I'm really maybe one-dimensional. It's I just, punk rock is just. So when you leave the podcast here tonight, you get in the car, call us all assholes, and then turn on music. I don't have to wait to get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't turn on the music. It's on the Mickey D's podcast. Yeah. All right. Episode That's, 72. Well, what are you, what are you listening to when you get into the car? I was, it's funny you ask. I was just listening to Tribe Called Quest. Nice. Yeah. was on as I pulled up. It was the next song that came on. Full of jazz samples. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they literally good. have a song called We Got the Jazz. <laughs> but they're not irritating. Uh, <laughs> but the hip hop element takes away the irritation. That's right. But I was also, I'm in that wheelhouse, you know, uh, 85, right. when all mm -hmm. that stuff was coming out of New York City, mm -hmm. you know. And then when I was working in Hospitality House, I remember, I know I talked to you about it. There was a, there was a rapper named of Nine who was- Yeah, I remember you telling me about He that, was yeah. as hard as they come. I know that sounds silly coming from someone like me. <laughs> I'll say it again. He was as hard as they come. <laughs> uh, but he was everywhere. You know, in that era that, and then you have what, the Sugar Hill Gang? Mm -hmm. yeah. They were everywhere. So I didn't really listen to it, but you couldn't escape it. Yeah. And it wasn't bad. I was born in 85. Huh? I was born in 85, so. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there was a UK punk and an American punk, right? I'm, I'm not big on punk, but wasn't there two different, not, they were one and the same, but. I think wasn't wasn't like it was huge. It was bigger in the UK, right? It was it was bigger in the UK, but the funny thing about it is, people who like punk are so elitist, <laughs> uh, and they're elitist in this regard. Oh wait, hipsters are the new punk rockers. Yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. But it, you don't understand. Right. Let right. me break it down for you. <laughs> right. You know, please. And you know, in, in 1962, the MC5 came out with a song called blah, 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 blah. And then, then this band did this. But then there was Blue Cheer was a heavy metal band, but they were super loud. And, and then, you know, the Sex Pistols came out in England mm -hmm. and they were doing this. But really before the Sex Pistols, you had this band. And then the Ramones came and their first record came out in 75. They were the first real punk band, but no one took them seriously. Then Susie and the Banshees and then the Gang of Four. And then the bottom line is, if it's a good song, it's just a good song. But you, you often don't get that with punk rock fans. They get... I don't know if it's in, in your guys' world or not. 
it's the dumbest phrase I've ever heard. Uh, oh, they're a sellout. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. oh yeah. I I don't understand. That. I get called that all the time. It's it's so <laughs> it's so silly. There was a band I used to love from New Haven, Connecticut, called Miracle Legion, and we went to see them in Boston, and we ended up seeing them after the show. And I was talking to the guitarist, and he said. I can't tell you how many people are giving us grief on our new album because they got a major label deal. I said, why? And he said, well, because they're calling us sellouts. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean? He goes, when you have a fan base, they they want you to only be their band. Yeah, That's the best description of punk rock fans. And and punk rock originally started out underground. Always. So, oh. so that's where like the whole cell. You're, you, we want to keep you down here with us. It's a great until way to we put evolve it. and move on from you. Yeah, and it's it's so funny. Like you think the Foo Fighters, mm. they're just a rock and roll band, mm. you know. But Nirvana was considered like the new age of American garage punk, and Dave Grohl was the drummer in Nirvana. So I think it's crazy. It would be like telling a painter, "You're not allowed to evolve. You need yeah. to do." Color by numbers. And if you You paint a masterpiece, you're a sellout. So there is UK punk. There there is American punk. But there's probably just good music. You know, when I can say that now at my age, I don't think my kids can say it. You know, I hear hear that like O'Leary loves your music and my oldest Ronan loves my music. music. You know, bad music. And then... (laughs) (laughs) But... He, he he loves all that hip hop. See you on the production. Mix? I can't yeah. wait, I can't wait to get to that age where I'm like, what is this trash you're listening to? Hey, we get right? close. Right. I mean, Six nine you know. really pushed us. Yeah, he did. He Let did. me tell you, it happens. Yeah, I, I know. There's a fan base, and we're not it. Like Mike said, we're we're starting to see that transitioning happening. And we're just like, what is this shit that we're listening to? Like, some a lot of these younger artists, and we we try our best because we're in this industry not to be so close minded towards that type of music, but it's just it's hard sometimes. I'm like, I can't do it. That's like, no, this, this is next. <laughs> but but you're, yeah. we're, we're also trying to justify it all the time. Like, am I just getting old? Oh, exactly because <laughs> like, it's popular though. Because it, it you know it's it's doing numbers, whatever. It's on the top Billboard charts right. or whatever the the scenario is. It, it just doesn't resonate with us. Like I'm just like. What? Y'all like this? Um, we're going to stop it here. Matt's going to um, uh, talk more and get more into the DJ stuff in the next episode. But uh, we just want to remind you guys, make sure you check out our globalization uh, mixes. We just have playing skills. Um, they threw down a great set, very uh, dope Latin set. And up next, we got Exodus from Vegas. Yep. Yeah. So make sure you guys tune in. Sirius XM, 8 p.m. Specific Standard Time, Tuesday nights. Mickey D's Radio. And we'll catch you next week with Matt 